Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. If you're currently taking in the beauty of nature and you're roaming around the country and all you see is a vast wilderness with a beautiful sun draped down on the desert or the landscape or wherever you are, we're lucky that you have Jake Hensler, Nate Lungarini, and Andrew Roger in your ear for the latest episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Welcome to the show. I'm your spiritual journey advisor. Take a hit of that peyote and hang out with me, Mr. Andrew Roger. Let's meet the rest of the group on this vision quest. He will be what you see in a gorgeously orgasmic vision quest, Mr. Nate Lungarini. If you're looking up at the stars, I see him every night. We're going to lead me off with orgasmic as an adjective here? <laughs> in a good way. I mean, I, yeah. I'm flattered, but uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, well, if you're uncomfortable with that, <laughs> there's no room in the trailer for him, only in the outhouse, Mr. Jake Hensler. I guess it's better than the bucket, right? Yeah. There <laughs> True, there are tears to it, I guess. But I guess we would have to stay on the sleazy outhouse kind of rhythm here since that's a middle seats rating. Right. Don't throw me there. I'm I'm no worse than a damp lawn chair. Come on. <laughs> depends on how hard you're defending DC that day. Yeah. I for- do not defend DC. <laughs> don't don't look me in there. First time listeners, that's not who I am. Yeah, we'll get into the DC talk probably later in the month. But for now, the Middle Seats Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you are joining us for the first time, our show is divided into three segments. We have our lobby talk segment where a member of the crew pitches a topic for just a little bit of chit chat like you would when Maria Menounos is up on the screen at those things called movie theaters. Aw, TBT. Yeah, they're opening back up around Nate, so I know he's very excited about that. Jake and I have been able to go. Hallelujah. I saw our featured review in theaters uh, on Saturday. Which is great. We'll get to that feature review in a second. We have a news segment, and then we will be talking about the now Golden Globe Best Drama winner, Nomadland. So we'll be getting into that later in the show. Speaking of the Golden Globes, uh, Nate, I know you watched. Jake, did you watch it all? Did you indulge? I, I didn't watch an ounce. I watched Doctor Sleep instead. That seems like <laughs> that seems good for your health. <laughs> uh, I, I do wish I saw um, uh, Sid Akis baked on Zoom. That looked pretty funny. Yeah, it was big divorce vibes. I felt bad for him. That's also true. Yeah. Like 2020 vibes in general. Man. Yeah, pandemic vibes. I, true. I feel them. <laughs> Eventually, we're going to shake that off. But right now, I feel like people are still in the, the days. Once everybody gets the vaccine, hopefully we'll go back to being functioning. I was impressed that they were able to still make this a three and a half hour show. There's just so many filler segments and comedy segments. And, it, and it's great that the first responders were in the audience, but there's no like celebrities to play to. So it's just normal people out there. Like, <laughs> whatever. We we talk bad about the Globes enough on the show. I just wanted to gauge what everybody thought. Nate, did you have any thoughts? <laughs> if you didn't want to watch it, I wouldn't have watched him. <laughs> you got dragged me to the first half of the Oscars anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Oscars are a different game, but yeah, same problems where they just fill for no reason. Anyway, speaking of award show, that leads nicely into our lobby talk segment. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. So, as Nate very eloquently put, he doesn't really care about award shows, and Jake's 
level of interest varies. He's a big Oscar junkie, but other things you don't care about. I'm a big Oscars guy. I like to track the award season, and we're going to talk about awards snubs today because it's fitting with Nomadland being very much in the conversation for Best Picture. Will everybody agree with that? Will people feel like it's an undeserved winner? We'll get into what we think of the movie coming up, but I want to kind of go back over the last 25, 26 years of award shows and primarily award shows that we remember. That's why we're saying 25, 26 years worth of investigation. And I want to ask you guys, what is your biggest snub in award show history? So this is uh, Forrest Gump winning Best Picture over Shawshank or Pulp Fiction would have made me very angry if I wasn't uh, non-existent. Was, non-existent. <laughs> I was going to say sperm, but I'm not trying to be disgusting. Uh, that's but you went there anyway. so <laughs> Right. True, true. I've already crossed that line too many times. Um, but that would be an example for me personally. But like I said, we're focusing on newer ones. And Jake, in the time I've gotten to know you, I feel like you've ramped up your interest in the Oscars from 2013 to now so is there anything that stands out to you an awards snub i always i always kind of paid attention to what be, a one best picture as a kid but i definitely paid attention to the oscars more probably when i met you and we started like seeing who could get the most right out of predictions and stuff like that but i'm lucky to not have ever been really pissed off at a uh an oscar result there's only been a couple that i really heavily disagreed with so i'll, I'll be honest i do have a, a couple answers written down here so I'm going to list at least two. I know it's cheating, but it is what it is. So the first one that came to mind for me immediately, which is also why I wanted a couple different answers, was La La Land not winning Best Picture. That whole controversy that night, that legendary Oscar night. <laughs> I love Moonlight. Moonlight's an excellent movie. It it does deserve to win. But La La Land was my favorite movie of that year. And it has since become one of my favorite movies. Just every time I watch it, I adore it. I fall in love with it every time. And it's rare that that happens to me. So I was upset that La La Land didn't win just because I adore it so much. But I think a, a better answer is kind of twofold. So Green Book winning as many Oscars as it did was ridiculous. It should not have won Best Picture. But it really, I was really, really, really annoyed that The Favorite did not win Best Original Screenplay that year. I think The Favorite is just so outstandingly well-written in so many ways. The fact that Green Book which is, you know, you know, we all feel a little bit better about ourselves because two guys learn to get along. No, that is not a Best Original Screenplay winner, and I, I will not have it. That one really got me mad. That's that's a big one for me. And for the record, like, we liked Green Book I do. I think a it's movie. a pretty good movie. Yeah, we gave positive reviews yeah. on our show, but out of the <laughs> great movies that came out that year when we are looking at Best Picture, woof. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's a good movie, but... Best Picture should not be a good movie. For the record, Green Book in that Best Original Screenplay uh, group beat The Favorite, First Reformed, which is a really, really good Ethan Hawke yeah, priest drama. That's a good one. Uh, Roma, which was The Favorite, I thought, for Best Picture that year until Green Book kind of whisked it away. And then Vice, which was, of course, the Christian Bale as Dick Cheney movie. Yeah, Green Book is number five out of those five. <laughs> I would fl- I would say I liked it better than Vice, uh, but that's a personal opinion. I know you're high on Vice. Um, I, I did in, like Vice. I enjoyed it. In terms of La La Land and Moonlight, 
it will always be remembered for the controversy, and I feel bad for Moonlight in a way. I don't feel that bad for it because it won Best Picture, but I feel bad for it in a way because it's always going to be the other movie in that controversy. Everybody talks about how La La Land got jobbed, but they don't talk about how good of a movie Moonlight was. I think I'm kind of flip-flopped with your opinions on those two movies. I think Moonlight is an absolute masterpiece. I love it. Uh, and I really, really, really love La La Land too. But in that moment, I was actually kind of pleasantly happy that Moonlight got the representation. I remember that. I, I certainly felt bad for the La La Land people, but like, <laughs> I was, I actually was okay with that. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people were. It just, it was a personal one for me because I, I've seen La La Land quite a few times now at this point, and I just, there's never a point where I watch it and I feel just slightly dulled by it. I'm always, always happy with it every single time. That's a fair take. I yeah. like La La Land and Moonlight. I think I like La La Land more myself personally, but neither one of those is making my all-time favorite movie list. So <laughs> at the time of the big Oscar fiasco, I was just a bystander on that race there. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> Nate, you say you're you're a bystander right there. I mean, I know you, you don't usually have a big skin in the game uh, for Oscar watching from my understanding of you. I know last year you were very, very over the moon that Parasite won. Like and I, oh and yeah, so that was great. Were, yeah, there was I just so. I was convinced that no way a foreign film was gonna win Best Picture, but there we are, and that was great. That was a really cool moment. Yeah, that was like the last good thing to happen in twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, that was like the last time we were all in a room together. Too. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, well. yeah. Um. All right, so I I will also throw out two picks. My first one's a little bit memeier just because it was the first thing that I thought of when this subject was pitched, but I'm not going to use it as my main pick because Jake called me out on it even before we started recording here. (laughs) (laughs) The first Oscars that I think I actually sat down and watched was uh, the 83rd Academy Awards with the 2010 movies. And that is when Inception was in the running. And that was... That was huge for me. Inception's one of my all-time favorite movies. Bingo. We already talked about Big Daddy Nolan and my love for him. I'm I'm still a little salty that it lost Best Picture to a King speech, which I still have not seen, partially out of protest for that Academy <laughs> Award yeah. season. Not even the title. It's the King speech, but <laughs> whatever. That's the, that's the protest. It's like, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. I didn't say it on purpose. But I, but as I was looking through the the winning category, I actually think the the one that bothers me more in hindsight uh, from the perspective of 2021 is how best original score went to the social network. I'm sorry, Drew, but they're just completely different tiers. Hans Zimmer killed it with Inception soundtrack. And and the social network soundtrack is amazing too. No, I don't know. I'm not with you on that. Yeah, I was, I'm now I'm going to be the bystander and watch you two duke it out. Yeah. (laughs) I love the Inception score too, but if anything was going to beat it, I'm very happy it was social network. Can you hum me social network right now? <laughs> it's like it's a piano, so it's a dun 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 dun. And then the pair that to the, the, the bumps big... of Inception. Those are awesome. Those are iconic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed that Andrew was able to do it at all, but I will say I've seen the Inception score be dubbed over so many random videos that people make themselves like yeah everybody uses like if it's somebody's like trip with uh with a gopro or a drone they there's Mm -hmm. it could be anything and they'll put the inception soundtrack over it and i'm like why inception 
I guess because it's great, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I am not <laughs> dissing the Inception score. I'm more, I'm a little taken aback by the slander and disrespect of the social networks. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, what's your other right, pick? Right. Not, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. So, so here's here's my more serious answer because Inception, I love the movie. It's okay not winning those awards. Um, I think the bigger snub for me was for 2013 movies in the 86th awards where Matthew McConaughey won over Leonardo DiCaprio for Best Actor. <laughs> um, Jake and I had a very interesting experience with that. <laughs> so obviously at that point in Leo's movie career, it had been kind of a meme that he kept on getting snubbed for Best Actor because he was always just against fantastic competition and lost a whole bunch of times in a row. And Matthew McConaughey was kind of the the final nail in the coffin for a lot of memes because he literally appears in Wolf of Wall Street beating his chest to Leo, (laughs) kind of like rubbing it in his face. Very funny. I I don't disagree that Matthew McConaughey's performance in Dallas Buyers Club is great, but I liked Leo's better. And Leo kind of, in my opinion, got a reconciliation uh, Oscar for Revenant later. I'm not huge on Leo's performance in Revenant. I thought he did a much better job in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, now, now it's my turn to boo. Now I'm going to boo I was going to say that there's a I lot think of DiCaprio just, is amazing. I'm dropping hot takes tonight, guys. <laughs> <laughs> He's shooting two for 13 from the field for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've only seen Dallas Buyers Club and Wolf of Wall Street once each, and it was before those Oscars came out. So it's tough for me to tune in now. But your Revenant take is a little bit, little bit icy for me. I don't like that one. You've only seen Wolf of Wall Street once? That's surprising. I kind of caught it in, in pieces, like at one point when people were watching it, but all together, all the way through, I only saw it once. I love it when they show it on cable. Like, what what could you possibly be showing? Like, <laughs> it's it's 45 <laughs> minutes long. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's the same length of an episode of Two and a Half Men, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I'll, I'll be straight up there, though. I really think that that's Leo's best performance. I think that's his craziest, most fun, entertaining character that he's ever put to screen. Hmm. I think my favorite performance from him is The Revenant, though, so I don't know what to say. I gotta, That's I, crazy to me. I gotta like, look at the list. It's so physical and it's so intense. And, and it's so different from what we're used right. to with him. This also this also isn't the point of the conversation, so I'm sorry to derail. <laughs> the, the, the conversation is McConaughey versus DiCaprio. True. <laughs> and I, I distinctly remember Jake taking on an entire dorm of freshman girls, telling them that McConaughey deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that did happen, yeah. Because everybody was like, like, oh, DiCaprio and Jonah Hill are going to win, obviously. And I was like, I don't think so. And then they all got mad at me. Yeah. And Andrew was like, I agree with you, but I'm not saying anything. Shut your mouth. Yeah, because I always sound like a know-it-all when I do stuff like that. You guys are always better at the the Oscar politics game. Right. Where, like, <laughs> I, I might get 10 or 12 out of the picks right, and you guys are closer to 15 or 20. Yeah, yeah but it's, <laughs> it's all about getting your personal preferences out of the way and what you think will happen versus what you want to happen. Yeah, it's about charting what happens. But here's the thing. I do so well, and then I, I get Best Picture wrong, like, almost every year. Like, I got you it wrong actually last do. Year. It's really funny. <laughs> I got Roma wrong, and then I got 2017. I think I got this one wrong as well. This transitioned really well into mine. Uh 2017 movies, there are a lot of really great choices to pick from. I always get perturbed, even if the movie is decent, I always get perturbed when what I consider to be the worst one in the field wins. That arguably happened with Green Book, and it definitely for me happened with Shape of Water, which is a movie that I like. I think it's a good movie. 
But these are the movies that were nominated that lost to Shape of Water. Lady Bird, which I think is a perfect yeah. movie. Dunkirk, which I adore. Phantom Thread, which I adore. Call Me By Your Name, which I really like. Darkest Hour, which people some people have issues with, but I really, really like that movie. Uh, Get Out, which, of course, great. Mm. Three Billboards, which I thought was going to win. Uh, really like that movie as well. And then The Post, which is good and better than Shape of Water. So it, for me, it's like Lady Bird 100, Dunkirk 98, Phantom Thread 96, Big Gap, Post is the lowest at 87, and then Shape of Water is like 74. Like, that's a big gap for a movie to win over all those. So I, I kind of rolled my eyes when that happened. I was like, ugh. It's just not at the same level as the rest of those movies, in my opinion. But a lot of people disagreed with me. I like Shape of Water better than that, but I agree it was not even a top three in that category. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a weird year. Yeah. I was shocked that one won, too, because it was, you know, like a, a woman falls in love with a, a fish man, and the Academy just usually doesn't go for weird stuff like that. So that was yeah. interesting. It's, it's odd because a lot of the time when you're looking at what won, it's a matter of how history will look back at it. Okay, I'm going to be like, why did Lady Bird not win? But I think, in general, a lot of people are going to be like, wow, Get Out lost? You know what I mean? That's the movie out yeah, of that Yeah, that's, that's that I, a cultural mm-hmm. movie from that right, year, for that's, sure. That's the movie that will stand out. And I think, going back, if I'm going to do one more pick, just like a minor one, again, kind of breaks the boundaries. I wasn't really paying attention at the time, but Brokeback Mountain losing to Crash is one of the big ones of all time. To the point where, like, Jack Nicholson, when he announced it, even, like, mouthed, wow, I can't believe this piece of shit won, basically. <laughs> it's <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got a season to go. It'll be very interesting to see what happens this year, especially with a very interesting group of movies in play. A lot of things not seen in theaters. It's going to be probably an Oscar season unlike any other. Mm-hmm. This is a fun topic. I could I could talk about this topic for a little while. This is a fun one. Right. Well, we'll circle back to the award stuff when we get to Nomadland, I think. Uh, but for now, let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So Nate mentioned a point to me a couple of days ago that kind of struck me because we talk about so many different things on this podcast. We have not really talked about the upcoming new Spider-Man movie and a lot of the things that they have planned, especially for how much we talk about comic book movies. Mm. And we are using the announcement of the official title as an entrance point to talk about everything that we think might happen in the third Spider-Man movie, which is going to be coming out around Christmas time. First Spider-Man movie not to come out in the summer, except for Spider-Verse. That's a big exception, but I mean like live action. We now know the title is Spider-Man No Way Home. John Watts returning as director, Zendaya, Jacob Batalon, and Tom Holland, of course, all returning. They threw out some troll titles like Phone Home, Home Wrecker, Home Slice, of course, jumping off of the homecoming, <laughs> far from home trend. Uh, what we know is Spider-Man is in it. It's uh, Thank you, right. Andrew. Yes, okay. Just making sure for the for the slower audience members <laughs> that they're following because uh, it gets a little crazier from there. Obviously, he's going to have to be somewhat on the run after the end of Far From Home where Mysterio revealed his identity to the world. We do know, confirmed, that Benedict Cumberbatch is in the movie as Doctor Strange, taking over that kind of mentor role that Nick Fury, Tony Stark played in the past two movies. Uh, And we also know that Alfred Molina and Jamie Foxx are returning as the villains of previous Spider-Man movies pre-MCU. So Alfred Molina, of course, played Doc Ock in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Jamie Foxx played an Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Probably not going to be blue (laughs) this time. Which begs the question, what's going on here? Now, the big rumor is that this is a big multiverse movie. And this will be the MCU jumping from place to place, universe to universe, 
And the big rumor, of course, is that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in here. Now, Tom Holland has denied that. They don't tell him spoilers anymore anyway. He spoils things too much on his own, I think. <laughs> yeah, he so, lost that right. take with a grain of salt. But other rumored people, Kirsten Dunst, Willem Dafoe, Emma Stone, Charlie Cox as Daredevil from the MCU. There's a lot of rumors out in the world. But for now, what we know is that Spider-Man's in the movie, Doctor Strange is in the movie, and versions of Electro and Doc Ock are in the movie. What that means, we'll have to figure out. Oh, it takes place at Christmas, too. That's kind of interesting. So there is a lot that we don't know still. We have not even seen a single frame of it. And Nate, let's start with you. I guess let's just talk about what do you think the title means and what are things that you expect to see? How do you expect this is going to go? Yeah, so when we were still in the the hypothetical phase, I thought they were going to do something kind of like how Spider-Verse did where a whole bunch of alternate universe Spider-Men came into our world and antics ensued. But with No Way Home, that makes me feel more like this version of Spider-Man is going to get lost in a alternate reality and run into all these villains of Christmas past, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> so like, he's got to figure out his way back home. And I think that'll be interesting. Doctor Strange being in here is going to be cool. It is worth thinking about just how many Marvel products are coming out before this movie releases. We still got to finish up WandaVision at the time of this recording. Very yeah. excited. Falcon, Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Loki, uh, what if? the Eternals movies, What If, uh, Miss Marvel. Hawkeye. Hawkeye, too. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of room for stuff to happen that we just cannot foresee from this point in March of 2021. So I'm excited. I I really hope they get Willem Dafoe back as Green Goblin, though. That'd be my one, like, please. Me too. I would really <laughs> like to see that, too. I'm with you there. Yeah. Mm. Now, I'm not expecting them to be major players. I expect it to be kind of like one fun cameo scene. Um, maybe like the portal scene from Endgame where just all these random characters come out into some crazy fight. Yeah. But time will tell. Yeah, and, an- and another angle of it that we haven't even discussed is Sony's part to play in this like will we get tom hardy as venom i i know cr- crickets as in terms of excitement yeah. but just... <laughs> cool <laughs> more importantly will, more importantly will we get woody harrelson as carnage yeah i that that comes out this year right june still I think. he better keep that stupid wig <laughs> yeah well we're not talking about venom i yeah uh jake obviously wandavision is going to play a role in this somehow and it's interesting to me that dr strange 2 is after spider-man I'm trying to chart a path of how this is going to go based on what we know about WandaVision at this time of recording. But how do you think the multiverse plays into it? Do, will we have a better, more clear image within the next two weeks when WandaVision wraps up? What am I, Kevin Feige? Like, I have any idea what to predict. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, just trying to, I'm trying to give you a topic to go off. You can just talk. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I think if we don't see it in WandaVision, Loki might have a point there because he leaves off of Endgame teleporting to another another reality. We don't know what happens there. We don't know how serious it is or how much it really does affect the MCU. But I think that could be a kickoff point, if not WandaVision. But I think Doctor Strange probably realizes the severity of the multiverse during the Spider-Man movie, and that's why his movie's afterward, if I had to guess. Like he's the one who's got to clean up the mess that Tom Holland gets himself in, basically. Is, is Doctor Strange essentially going to be phase four's Nick Fury, like assembling all the multiverse characters together to 
fight them all off in some unknown or, Avengers. Or, or closing off from all the villains. Like, oh my god, there's yeah, there's so many different realities. This is just going to break the universe. I'm, I have to close it off. Thanks, Tom Holland, Peter Parker. Yeah, like I could totally see him just being like a post credits character for like the next five projects. Right. Well, I, again, <laughs> we don't know at the time of this recording, but I expect him to show up in the WandaVision finale in some capacity, especially since Wanda is supposed to be in Doctor Strange 2. And I, yeah, I completely agree with that assessment, Nate. I think he's going to be vital to Phase Four. Entangling Spider-Man and Doctor Strange on further adventures is going to be very important going forward because when you really think about where everybody is right now, scattered to the wind, they're the two that are probably holding it down on Earth right now. Mm. Their pairing makes sense. I just I, there's no way I can speculate of how it's going to develop to the point where we get Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. I don't even know what Tobey Maguire looks like right now. Like. <laughs> I can just picture Tobey Maguire in, like, 2007, but, like, I haven't seen him since The Great Gatsby. I saw Michael Sarah playing him in Molly's games, but that w- that's different than what I'm thinking of. <laughs> that's a funny Do image. you think he has a quarantine beard? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, he has a goatee. He's, he is straight up uh, Jake Johnson's Spider-Man in Spider-Verse with the sweatpants, a little bit overweight, eating pizza. That's his Spider-Man. <laughs> you think that's going to be him? I feel like that's more of a Garfield vibe. That's a good question. Yeah. No, Garfield was the cool skater kid. Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker is, you know, had the traditional marriage with Mary Jane. They probably settled down and had kids. Right. One last question, because this is a fruitless conversation without what I'm about to ask. What is the first trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home look like? Like specifically, does the trailer end with a stinger of Alfred Molina or something like that? Probably. Probably. Right? Uh, It'll just be his Doc Ock pincers doing some kind of snippet thing. And we'll all freak out, even though we already know it. Right. I do want to stress that Sony is probably going to be cutting the promos, though. So expect them to try their best to spoil every part of the movie they can. So be on alert for the next few months. You're going to have to be probably careful after the first or second one is my guess. Anyway, Spider-Man No Way Home. I keep wanting to say Far From Home because that's such a good title. I like No Way Home a lot, too. I'm going to get used to it. Uh, I really like Phone Home. (laughs) I really do. (laughs) I was a fan of Home Wrecker. That was my favorite fake one. (laughs) I, I feel like Phone Home would be really good if it was a cosmic story. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, with the E.T. reference for space and stuff like that. Anyway, December 17th, I believe it's set for right now. Obviously, we can't wait. But we've got a lot of MCU to get through before that. Let's talk about another streaming service, guys. That's kind of a favorite topic of ours around here. Uh, And a new one entering the fray this Friday, I believe. It's probably out by the time you're listening to it. uh, Paramount Plus. Basically, what it is, it's taking over for CBS All Access, which had, like, nothing on it. It's funny, my girlfriend actually got CBS All Access just to watch Star Trek, uh, and she's never watched Star Trek in her life, so that was a very bad purchase <laughs> on her part. She, she was like, yeah, I watched like an episode, and I, I didn't recognize anybody, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of what happens when you join the seventh series of a show that's been going for 50 years, but what do I know? <laughs> Paramount Plus, there are a lot of different projects that they announced. I am running through a couple of them, but feel free to mention any that you guys want to talk about. The big ones that stood out to me, that Rugrats revival that's in CG. Uh, yes. The... No, I'm kidding. Okay. Right, we're started already. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have thoughts on that. We'll get to that. Uh, Frasier reboot, uh, which was a very popular show back in the day. Uh, this is an exciting one specifically for Nate. The Avatar universe, which I feel like could be very mm. bountiful. Avatar The Last Airbender, to be specific. Um, yes, not the blue people. The blue people are Disney. Yeah. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender universe with... Spinoff shows coming from the original creators who left the Netflix show uh, that they're still doing oh, exciting creative differences. Oh, that's the key there. 
Right. Okay. So if if you're going to watch one of them, I think you would watch this one. Uh, live action fairy odd parents. So the last big thing is they are doing the inverse of what HBO Max did. Paramount Plus for A Quiet Place Part 2, which is a movie that exists, but it was like a week away from coming out before quarantine. And then Mission Impossible 7, which is a movie that all of us are very, very excited for. Yeah. Uh, you have 45 days to see it in theaters, and then after 45 days, it'll be available on Paramount Plus uh, for subscribers, which I think if you're going to have to do it with the uh, window of people staying at home, I prefer that way because it gives theaters the best chance at the beginning for the must-see excitement and entertainment. But we can have a discussion about that. Jake, I want you to touch on that. Is there any other projects you saw? Will you be getting Paramount Plus, I guess, is a good question. Um. Well, did I hear there was going to be a Halo show? Is that that's, yep, correct? Yep, that's a good one that I forgot. <laughs> yep, there will be. Mm-hmm. See, that was the thing I heard that really intrigued me. I was a big Halo kid. Honestly, I'm still kind of a Halo kid. Every so often, I'll still go back and play it if I'm really bored. Like, Halo, to me, is always fun, and I loved it as a kid. Um, so that, and I didn't realize there was going to be an Avatar universe on Paramount. So those two things are pretty intriguing to me. But I don't know if I can justify paying for another streaming service, guys. I already have a few and I'm happy with them. I don't know that I need another one. So maybe I'll try a free trial and I'll watch as much as I can. But I don't know that I can justify paying for another one. So, Jake, let me be a little bit of a salesman, uh, not just for you, but for the audience, just to give people pricing. I'm not saying you should get it. I'm just giving you the context of the pricing. So the new product, it'll be $4.99 per month, and that's ad-centric. So you would still have ads. Or you can pay $10 for a premium. That's actually not bad. The ad one, I, I could do the ad one. Mm-hmm. That's not an awful price, yeah. Nate, the question is, does the content worth even five bucks a month? And yeah, they are putting out more of a fight than I thought because I'm coming off of their CBS All Access listing, which is pretty slim pickings, especially if you're into movies like I am. There's, If you're into shows, you can find shows. but Yeah, you can find uh, Jake's old show, God Friend and Me. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, never seen it. I'm not. I'm not a big TV person, so CBS All Access was not giving me too much for for anything. If I was paying for it, I get it through work. Yay! <laughs> um, nice. Original content is the name of the game, and that's why Netflix is fighting so hard to get all their original content off the ground. Because as more platforms are taking their piece of the pie, it's harder and harder for people to justify paying for all of them. Yeah. When it was just Netflix and maybe like one other subscription. Back in the day, it was like $10 a month. Something like that, yeah. Um, and now if you want all of your content, you're pushing 50 easy. And it's almost like getting away from the whole point of what streaming services were. You're basically uh-huh. just paying to for consolidate cable. your yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's cable 2.0. <laughs> we had this complaint before. So Paramount Plus with – I still don't get the plus. Why do we need plus? Because hey, Dis- um, Disney did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're putting up much more of a fight than – I expected if I wasn't getting the service for free, I don't know if I would take it. I might ask for your login. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think the movies is the most appealing thing to me, but now that theaters are coming back, I'm probably not going to want to see movies on the service anymore. So mm-hmm. cer- certainly not like mission impossible seven. Yeah. I'm going to go see mission impossible seven in theaters. You're not going to like paramount great for you for trying, but I'm not going to watch mission impossible on your service first that yeah. is a movie theater experience no so, doubt I, the template appears to be for a lot of these streaming services that are looking to draw people in is to reboot things based on nostalgia they are pulling from mm-hmm. every single thing in the nickelodeon catalog to try and get people back uh the rugrats show looks like shit mate like i 
<laughs> I, I'm sorry, but like, why why do we keep abandoning 2D and live action? Fairly Odd Parents. The less said about that, the better. Nothing but respect for my live action Cosmo, Jason Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my God. And then, of course, you've got the iCarly reboot, which I could not care less about that. No. So that's the way that they try to rope people in. Obviously, Disney Plus did the same thing where they brought back uh, Clone Wars, but they have the Marvel shows as well. I guess, real quick before we move on, to, to say it first, no, I'm not that interested in Paramount Plus, but I will bum it off of somebody probably, as everybody yep. does. Gun to your head. You have to pick one streaming service. Which one? And this don't make this long. Just say it. Jake. To keep? Yeah. Just one? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh... I'm, I would say I'm really torn between Disney Plus and HBO Max. So pick one. I'm trying. I didn't know it would be a film <laughs> spot like this. <laughs> I, oh, I don't need more time to think. I don't want to so give up it. my Marvel and Disney stuff, but I do like HBO's library. I guess HBO. HBO? Okay. I think Me? so. I, I would definitely do HBO Max. Uh, most of the stuff that shows up on Disney Plus, I either have the DVDs or VHSs already <laughs> from my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. I'm seeing it in theaters opening night, like all the Marvel their, stuff. Their so, shows are pretty big right now, though. Their shows yeah, going to get good. I think HBO's movie catalog is the strongest for my personal taste. Yeah. My only complaint is that they cycle through things like nobody's business. Something that was on there last month is already gone. Right. Well, some of these some of these movies are going to Paramount Plus or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they exactly. have these all these different deals. Uh, yeah, it's clean sweep. Completely agree with everything you said. HBO is the best TV, in my opinion. They're the most consistent. Pretty much all of their shows are outstanding. It, you rarely get a dud from HBO. Their catalog is fantastic. So, yeah, I think HBO Max, I think comfortably we would probably say Disney Plus second and then we'll yeah. figure it out from there. But Paramount Plus, March 4th, available five bucks if you want to pay for ads, 10 bucks if you don't. Um, so we are going to transition now to Disney, specifically Pixar, which has gotten a lot of shine on the last couple of weeks of this podcast. We're going to be talking about the new trailer for Luca. We can go anywhere, do anything. We just got to stick together. We'll ride down every road. See the whole world together. Did you see that? No one can find out. Please don't take my sunshine away. Where did you boys say you were from? <laughs> Luca, not named after uh, NBA all-star Luka Doncic. That's a joke for nobody that listens to this podcast, but I think it's funny. It is the latest movie in Pixar's catalog. Jacob Tremblay, Jack Dylan Grazer, Maya Rudolph, Jim Gaffigan. They star in the film and do voices. It is due out in June of 2021. I would assume, they have not said this yet, but I would assume they are going to do the Disney Plus premium access thing that they've been doing uh, with Raya and the Last Dragon and Mulan, where you, to, you can pay for 30 bucks online to watch it, or you could alternatively go to the theater because theaters are opening again. And basically, the premise is very simple. It is a mythical adventure that kind of combines a lot of the Pixar whimsy uh, with the Italian romanticism of Italy from like movies like very different, but Call Me By Your Name, which you can get from the... Very different. Well, yes, yes, but <laughs> nobody's going to touch peaches in this. <laughs> Jacob Tremblay... You are in something tonight, girl. <laughs> Jacob Tremblay plays Luca. Uh, Jack Dylan Grazer 
plays Alberto. Uh, and they have a big secret. Um, if water touches them, they turn into mermen, basically. Or sea monsters. I Probably sea monsters is a better description. Uh, so it's a big secret they're keeping. Uh, and this town apparently hates sea monsters. And that's about pretty much the only context we have to the plot of the movie. As a town should. Yes, for sure. So, Nate, first impressions from this trailer for a movie that is coming out in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we literally just did an entire podcast about how Pixar has proven its track record and we will give anything that they do a shot. And this trailer leads me to believe nothing different for Luca. Uh, the one thing that is definitely jumping out to me is the animation style. The characters look very different compared to other Pixar products. It's a lot more of the, like the globby style that other DreamWorks, um, almost like Scoob or like Lego movie even, where it's like very choppy. Illumination, blue sky style, right? Yeah, it's it's very choppy movement from what we can tell so far, not in the traditional Pixar sense. I'm not a hater. I, I don't immediately dislike the style, but it's just, it's definitely notable to me as different. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Obviously the backgrounds, we harped on that all over our soul review, but the backgrounds in this looks spectacular and we're getting more water sims in here so for all our vfx nerds out there like this looks visually stunning the characters are just very cartoony excited to see what they do i'm very curious to see if they've listened to our our soul lobby talk (laughs) to see if they get any of the themes that we pitched from a couple episodes back yeah i I think i might have been onto something there to be honest uh we'll see because we're i talked a lot about in that episode of people coming of age and using it as a metaphor for coming out and becoming your true self, basically, uh, with my stupid gazelle mm-hmm. pitch. Uh, but so, Jake, we had two Pixar movies last year. We had Onward and we had Soul. And I think there's a consensus that Soul was the prestige, big oscar one. And Onward was very sweet and touching, but definitely not, definitely more just generally entertaining. Do you get a vibe of which one this is closer to? Onward and even even more kid-friendly, I think. Nate is better with the the visual effects vocabulary than I am. Uh, all I could say is this one looks a little bit more simple. Like, Soul was so well-detailed and well... Like, the graphics were just pretty much outstanding. Like, I don't know how much better animation is going to get after that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, how much better can they really do? This doesn't look like that. This one looks a little bit more simple. I think Nate had it when he said, like, kind of globby. Not that that's a bad thing, like he was saying. It just... It definitely looks a little bit different than what Pixar is used to. But at the same time, Pixar... Nine times out of ten, their stories are so well told. So I have faith in this. I'm un- until they give me a reason otherwise. I'm gonna always give them a shot. Pretty much. I think the the water dilemma sounds fun. Like they literally can't even like get splashed in the face with water without it being like turning them into like purple scales. So like that should be a fun mm-hmm. dilemma, and that should be fun for kids, and that should be visually entertaining, and yada yada yada. Um, I wouldn't say I'm overly excited for it, but I'm sure it'll be pretty good. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm excited, but I would I would say I'm in, for, for sure intrigued. Like, obviously, Pixar can do anything and I'll be in. I would agree that the animation style is definitely different from what they're used to. I think I will be fine with it once I get used to it. Um, it Probably, is, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a way that the characters are designed that just it doesn't feel like it's going for the quote-unquote realism of a, a Pixar design like we saw even with the side characters in Soul. I just don't know if there's enough to kind of get a grasp on what the plot is trying to do besides the central quirky premise of the sea monsters. Mm-hmm. It's very much a teaser trailer. We're definitely going to get a more detailed trailer down the road, 
But for yeah, now, yeah. The, the extent of what I can say is that the scenery looks gorgeous. It looks like it's going to be comparable to Ratatouille and Coco, where it celebrates a culture in a certain way, which I'm excited to see that for the Italian culture. Mm. Obviously, I'm happy that Jacob Tremblay and Jack Dylan Grazer continue to get work. I think they're good picks for the lead characters. Uh, yeah, and definitely. Maya Rudolph is in a lot of things, so I'm glad she's in more things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any other thoughts on Luca? I, I wanted to bring up Jacob Tremblay, and I forgot. He is – I hope he continues this this trending upwards because he is a phenomenal young actor. I mean, especially in Room, but even like smaller things. He's consistently good, so I hope we continue to see him and see him take good projects like this. 100%. So that'll do it for our news segment. Let's move into our feature review of Nomadland. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I and they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. Let's just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. Nomadland was written and directed by Chloe Zhao, a very, very talented Asian director who was very much on the up and up. Of course, with this movie, she is now a Golden Globe Award winning director. She is likely to be in the top three of contenders for the Academy Award for Best Director. And at the end of the year, she's got a Marvel movie coming as she helms the Eternals, which we've been waiting for for quite some time now. So that should be very exciting. Oh, I uh, forgot. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's very possible that Marvel will have the reigning best director doing one of their movies this year because this movie is getting a lot of Oscar buzz. It is awards baity, but not in the way you would think of it. There are two kinds of awards baby. There's the kind where it's like big monologues and big powerful speeches and people crying a lot. And then there's this kind, <laughs> which is very indie and slow. This is definitely the latter kind. It is very soulful and remorseful and realistic. And the main premise, as it is, Frances McDormand plays Fern. Uh, she lived in Nevada for a long time with her husband. Her husband passed away. The Great Recession hit. She lost her job. And from there, she just decides to travel the country as a nomad Jumping from place to place, meeting different people, possibly falling in love, possibly falling out of love, meeting interesting people, dealing with the tragedies of her life in her own unique way. It is a very slice-of-life movie, like we're just going on a journey with this woman. That is not going to be for everybody. I would not be surprised if there are people on this panel that it's not for. But <laughs> it's the rarity where I don't know who either of you think about this movie, because I saw this a couple of weeks ago, so I am not going to be the freshest on it in terms of very specifics, but both of you have watched it within the last 72 hours, I think it's fair to say. Is that correct? Uh, last uh, six hours for me. Yeah, so 48 <laughs> oh, wow. hours for Jake, <laughs> Couple six hours for, for Nate. Nate, as the freshest, what are your initial thoughts on Nomadland? Mm -hmm. You painted the picture pretty well. This is definitely a slower deep dive into just how a character is feeling and less about a plot. This is very much a wandering movie that is going place to place, scene to scene, and just kind of 
slowly falling into the shoes of this character, uh, Fern, played by Frances McDormand. Um, she does a good job. I think the movie has a very particular vision of what it wants to be, and I think it fulfills that goal to a T. This isn't too high of a pick for me, but I've never been too high on this type of movie. It's one of those things where I've seen this type of genre before. I've seen this type of character before, and I was never really surprised by any one particular moment. I think you kind of will know if you're into this based off the trailer or not. And I, I enjoyed it, but it's not super high for me. I think that's totally fair. And I think I can picture on Oscar night, the backlash already, the people saying like, oh, that one that was so boring. Oh, that one, I really didn't like that. And like, okay, there's there are some movies where I would get upset if people said that, but I, I really don't think that that's outrageous to say here. Uh, Jake, I feel like you go for these kind of things on a case-by-case basis. So what did you think of Nomadland, Chloe Zhao's direction, and I guess Francis's performance is another good jumping-off point? You're right there. There are points where um, sometimes I'm hit or miss with these kind of things, but this to me, in a way, kind of felt like Roma. And I think I had a bit of, I definitely had a different experience than Nate. I think I'm almost felt like like documentary style filmmaking. Like you said, very real, very like slice of life. But in the sense of Roma, you can feel the passion that this director had for this story. Like it just felt so human and so real. And the biggest conflict is something that would be so small in most other movies. It's just very day-to-day life, but for me, it doesn't feel mundane. And uh, I think you're right. I think people are, especially in an age of phones and where we can watch new feature movies on HBO Max, this is currently on Hulu, if if people didn't want to go to theaters. So I'm afraid people will get bored and kind of, you know, wandering eyes while they watch this movie. And if it wins Best Picture, I am afraid of the backlash as well. But I thought this was pretty excellent. I think Frances McDormand has personally been... I thought she was good, but I think she's been better. Um, but I thought this personally just... This this moved me a little bit. I really, really enjoyed the story. I thought it was pretty powerful at times. It's depicting a way of life that I know nothing about, and yet I was pretty fascinated by. And it's just very real. Like There are points where I was watching this movie, and I thought, wow, that actually looks kind of incredible to live like that a little bit. Just not being poor and like you know, struggling in the cold and stuff like that. But the freedom and the independence I thought looked absolutely incredible. And I then there are points where I was like, wow, I could almost see myself living like that. That looks amazing. And then there are points where I'm like, this is horrifying. This is so scary and so brave to go out and live like this, whether you wanted to or not, whether you were forced into that lifestyle or chose it or one or the other, there's a bravery to that. And I, I respect those kind of people who are able to do it. And I kind of, have a, a newfound love for this kind of movie. And I also think it's something you can take away from in like five years from now. Like my mom saw it, she really liked it. And for certain reasons, other than me, like we both found different things that we liked about it. So yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of good things about it. It's just very, very different than what people are going to be used to if it gets that kind of Oscar recognition. A lot of good points in there. I really liked your Roma comparison. Yeah. This is very, very similar style-wise. Yes, absolutely. The documentary-style point you made, uh, most of the people in the movie that are not David Strathern and Frances McDormand are not traditional actors. They found real nomads and shot with them. If you go in the comments so section, 
of the trailer, which I did right before we started recording. I watched the trailer again. There are a lot of people commenting that they were actually extras in the movie because they just, Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao and the crew just went to these sites and found people and just told their story around it. Because there's no way you can call Nomadland a traditional story per se. It is very much a character piece. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a character piece Mm -hmm. and it's a lifestyle piece. It is like you're following one specific person. It's almost like, this is kind of aping off of what you're saying with the documentary style. It's like we're watching a featurette on like 60 Minutes or something like that. Or on the National Geographic channel. Like you're watching a featurette about what it would be like to be a nomad. I think probably for me, I split you two right down the middle. I think I teeter a little bit more towards Jake where I really, really enjoyed this movie a lot. I don't think I fell in love with it like I wanted to. But it is certainly going to be in my top 15 of the year from movies that were 2020 contenders. There's a way to be emotionally complex while also being simple. And this movie finds a really good balance of that because, you know, Fern is not a complex person on the surface. She just likes the simplicity of the lifestyle. But it's very clear that this is all of a long standing play out of how to get over grief and how to move on with your life. Like she's running from the past having these new adventures and these new adventures are a new lease on life for her so you're happy for her but at the same time you know she's gonna have to reckon with what happened at some point point. and i love the movies like nature of just taking her from journey to journey it feels like she learns like one new thing along the way in each spot it's a brilliantly paced movie there are moments where it plods a little bit it's a little bit slow at points i, I agree just a little bit it's just the nature of the movie it, it wouldn't be honest to the movie if something big happened you know what i mean so you're just mm-hmm. either going to be for in for it and for not or not. And I think all three of us sound like we were mostly in for it, like Nate to a lesser degree than maybe the two of Jake and I. But yeah, I really dug this thing a lot. I, I think Chloe Zhao is a great talent. Uh, I want to check out her previous movie, The Rider, because that's supposed to get that's supposed to be really good as well. And Francis is always tremendous. I would say this is probably my third favorite performance from her behind three billboards, which she, of course, won for, and Fargo, which I think she also won for. Like yeah, I she, think so. <laughs> I would say she is de- she is definitely the top two or three candidate for Best Actress. Uh, we'll see if she's able to bring it home. Uh, she didn't bring it home with the Golden Globes, but they do whatever they want. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. authentic is a word that I keep coming back to. All right. I, I hear what you guys are saying, and I think that's fair. To just get into a little bit of specifics before we head into spoilers, like, this was the right year for this movie to come out. There's so many moments where I'm like, oh, cool, that's like quarantine. <laughs> that's a really small RVer, and that reminds me of my apartment <laughs> after a long day at work, right? That's interesting, because I was actually thinking the opposite when you said that. I thought you were saying, like, oh, it's great that this came out, because she's walking through all these wide landscapes that nobody can go to right now. But that's another good point. A lot of people went hiking in the beginning of quarantine. Obviously, it got cold. Um, But I was one of those people that were like, okay, you'll keep me out of the movie theaters and my job. So let me go to the mountains and enjoy a little bit of nature. And that was fun. Yeah. The thing that I will celebrate this movie for is that it's a good look at poverty in America that we don't normally see. Like normally we're on a farm or normally we're in a Mm -hmm. city and it's 100% struggle all the time. This was a cool, different take because um, there were both good things and bad things about being a nomad. It is not a fully romantic take on, like, everybody should do this. No, that's not what this movie's trying to say at Mm -hmm. all. And it still painted a great character piece of this movie. 
my deviation from you guys there is that that's kind of as far as the movie goes for me. That doesn't take it into a great storytelling experience. It's more of a fun thesis statement and a cool take that's told well, but doesn't motivate me as a viewer. It's totally understandable, I think. The homeless point is interesting because so many times in movies, it happens because of a drug addiction or something like that or a turn to prostitution yeah, or something like characters that. characters rock bottom. Just like, yeah. this is also a, like a damning statement on our economy in general and how yes. this can happen to an entire town in the middle of the country, but we don't see it because it's not LA or New York or whatever like that. And I'm glad that those people are getting shine and sympathy from this movie. Yeah, like, nobody in this movie said, I set out to become a nomad. I became a nomad because I had no other option, and this seemed to be working. Yeah. Jakey, mm -hmm. uh, you can jump into more thoughts, but I'm going to require you to do your rating as well while you do that. So, <laughs> if you are just joining the Middle Seas for the first time, we have a seat scale where we rate things. Uh, if we think a movie is great, has no flaws. Royal Throne, if we think a movie is great with minimal flaws, plus recliner. If we think a movie is good with pretty significant flaws, we give it a wooden seat. The inverse, if we think it's a bad movie with some decent things in it, damn blonde chair, horrible movie, sleazy outhouse, bag of popcorn moniker, if you should see it in theaters. Jake, go ahead. Um, I'm going to give a few thoughts and then give my rating. I'm going to give my rating last. I like that you guys each kind of felt like you had a word, like Andrew kept coming back to authentic. But the word I kept coming back to was belonging or lack thereof. I felt like all those people kept, like Andrew said, running from. They kept running from things or they had no other choice sometimes. This does have a community style and there is a, a not camaraderie, but they do all understand each other to an extent. I kept getting the feeling like, at least specifically for Fern and probably a lot of them, the other ones as well, but specifically for Fern, she never really quite belonged anywhere once she lost anything. So she just kept moving and kept moving and kept moving because she didn't know where to go. She had, she didn't feel like she was not necessarily welcome, but just wasn't fitting anywhere. Therefore, she just, she felt more comfortable on the road and more comfortable just doing her own thing and whatever it was in that moment. And I thought that was just so interesting and such an interesting character trait. There's a lot about this movie that I liked it throughout, but I didn't love it until it finished. And then I sat with it for a few minutes and I kind of pieced it together. That's when I was like, I think I love this movie. Uh, it's not one I could watch often because like Andrew has said, it, it has its parts where it's not it's not exactly overly exciting, but it just tells such an interesting story. So I'm going to I'm gonna dip into the Royal Throne territory here for me. Um, wow. I was oh, just wow. so fascinated. Cool. Yeah, I was very fascinated with this movie and it's just a, a series of little stories that all add up and I was just so interested by it. And, you know, like even when she's in, like South Dakota, just working at a restaurant for a minute, which is not really a spoiler. I'm just like, that's so, like, you would never know. You would have no idea that that person serving serving you your your burger for a minute, what the, what this story is that they have. And I'm just, I was so interested by so many things in this movie when I reflect on it. Um, and I would say Bag of Popcorn, because this movie can be easy to kind of briefly check your phone here and there if you're, if you're watching it on Hulu, but it's also got some gorgeous sky and landscape shots. There are some outstanding cinematography moments that I think would be worth watching in the theaters. It's not like the best movie I've ever seen, but I would say Royal Throne with Bag of Popcorn. Yeah. I, I wish I had seen it in the theaters, uh, just mainly because of get my phone away from me, especially in a movie that is this slow at points. Like, force me to not look at it, basically. 
just even like for small moments. Right. Like, yeah. All right, Jakey. That's awesome. Uh, Nate, go ahead. All right. Yeah. Definitely a different take than what I got here, Jake. Um, like talking about the, the landscapes and stuff were, were beautiful. Um, but I also kind of thought they were almost too simple. Like it's literally just them putting the tripod out there in a beautiful place and calling that the shop, you know? Yeah, I thought it was so like effective. Lighting. I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that either. There's a lot of handheld stuff too. Okay. But, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, either way, I think right from the get go, this just isn't my normal cup of tea when it comes to movies. I'm not mm-hmm. particularly high on this one. I'm going to give it a wooden seat. Ooh. It's not that I dislike the movie. I know wooden seat sounds harsh after a royal throne, <laughs> but if you're the type of person who looks at an Oscar best picture list and says like, what are all these artsy fartsy movies doing here? I don't think you're going to like this one. And um, I'm not an artsy fartsy hater. I like my indie films, but this one it's, it's too simple for its own good for me that I, I can't connect to it in the same way. I guess that's where our our difference was. I, I kept feeling Mm. that, that connection to the director and the lead. And all the more power to you. If you like this type of movie, then you like this type of movie. I'm just, I'm not huge on this. I actually just looked back at my Romo rating and I gave that one a wooden seat as well. And I know you guys both Mm. love that movie. So it's just, it's just a genre thing. I think really do like Francis McDormand's performance. Um, I do like the direction. I probably would have appreciated this one at theater as well because it was very easy for me to look out the window for, for a second or two while this was played on my living room TV. I was actively getting mad at myself for like, I took my phone and I threw it across the room. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. stop. <laughs> Reason number 6,042 why I value the theater. It forces me to turn my phone off. Yeah. And if and if we're cinephiles, like, imagine how hard that is for the normal person. And that normal person is most likely going to try to see Nomadland from home. And I'm, I'm afraid that people are going to have reactions, not like Nate's, where he clearly paid attention and not your cup of tea, but appreciated it. And are just going to be turned off by the patience it requires for you to basically feel what it's trying to do. And it's, I mean, once you do, and you may not like it, but Jake, you saying that you sat with it for a few minutes, I kind of felt the same way. I immediately finished it. And I was like, okay, that was good. But then it grew on me as time is gone. Like I said, I first saw it, I think I saw it a month ago at this point. I'm trying to watch it again soon before the nominations for the Oscars come out. But from what I remember of it, it is a very depthful, authentic, and wholly soulful movie and there's honest and kind of raw in a way yeah absolutely i have raw written down here it's it's a joy to spend time with these people but it's so sad when you think about the circumstances that might have brought them there or not maybe some of these people are making the decision on their own and in fern's case i felt so much for her because of the journey that chloe took us on there are a couple of beautiful scenes i think it's best scenes come towards the end in terms of emotional impact. Yes. Uh, there's not a lot to spoil in this movie, but there is one moment I really want to touch on in spoilers that genuinely I have kept thinking about in the weeks and weeks that have come. I think this is a very, 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 very good movie that is pretty much great. It is not quite a royal throne for me. I am going to split the difference and go very solid plus recliner. It is absolutely a must-watch for this year in terms of if you want to get an idea of what the landscape of movies looked like in 2020 because it is going to be right in the thick of things at the end of the very delayed Oscar race. And just make up your own mind about it. Like, obviously, you're not sheeple, folks. Like, you'll come up with your own opinion. Um, <laughs> when is the last time we've had three different ratings? I was going to say, this is pretty interesting. We don't have mm-hmm. this differentiation a lot. Right. 
and I and yeah, I am I think, rarely I the think one to Star split. Wars Eight is the last one that I think has been this divisive, I guess. <laughs> but even then, Jake and I. Even then, up. you guys agreed. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll have to look that up. Which movie we had three different ratings for? Because I doubt it's very many of them. And uh, cool. I think it's very rare that I'm the one in the middle. Yes. Nate's right where he usually yeah. is, but Jake and I flip-flop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the Debbie Downer. Uh, let's get into spoilers, boys. There's not really a lot to quote-unquote spoil, but there are some standout scenes that I don't want people to expect to come. Yeah, there's a couple I want to dive into. Yeah, if you have not seen Nomadland, tune out now. If you have, join us in spoilers. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Excuse me, spoiler alert. Uh, Jake, I'll defer to you since you're the big, the one with the number one fan foam finger <laughs> in the stands. Uh, and that's that's the thing. There are definitely like I don't see this being my number one movie of most years since I've been ranking movies, but I really did end up loving this by the end. And there's there's definitely a couple scenes at the end that I think are worth talking about. But there's one since you already mentioned that there's ending scenes you want to talk about. I want to bring up the one with Swanky, where she she really realizes how sick she is. And she's just talking about coming to terms with it. And she specifically gives a memory. And they give this they give this honest close-up of her face while she just talks about this life memory. And my mom really liked this one, too. But this was one of the first moments that I was like, wow. I think she has cancer. And, and she's like, I will not go back and spend the rest of my days in a hospital after being out here. And she talks about how she reflects on, I think it was canoeing or kayaking out in Colorado and this flock of birds flew over and around her canoe kayak and the reflection of the water as they were flying and it was it was just this wholesome present moment that she was in and she had the way she described it was beautiful and she said if she had died there and now she lived a complete life and she was happy and she felt happy that's how she wants to live the rest of her days not in a hospital but out doing things like that and the way she described it and how honest and real and how one take it was and how they just focused on her and let her talk about it such a beautiful take on this lifestyle like they quite literally talk about the best way to go to the bathroom in buckets <laughs> and then they talk about stuff like that and i was like this is so honest and real and it's like it doesn't even feel oscar baited to me it really just feels like the director wanted to show you this movie and whether it's nominated for a bunch of stuff or nothing this is the movie they wanted to make and i I just love the whole take on it. That's a good point where it feels like you almost just get dropped into the community like you're an eavesdropping on these conversations of these kind of people. Obviously, Frances is a A-list actress, but the rest of these people feel, and a lot of them are, living this lifestyle and just literally talking to the actress about what they do. That's the thing that really took it to the next level for me beyond where Nate is, where he's just appreciating it. What gave it the emotional umph for me is that the people's motivations for being out there were diverse enough, but also you get insight that they all share something in common, which is, you kind of alluded to this, Jake, where they're very much coming and going, and they don't have a specific place where they are currently in life. They're all moving like ships in the night, but they have something in common, which is this love for the land and the love for where they are in the place and time, whether they were escaping something or just choosing to be out here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is a very deep, soulful conversation about a movie, but this is some people's lives. I think that's kind of the point, yeah. though. And it feels so natural. Definitely give that movie that and all the, the actors and people that they talk to here. I've met a lot of people like this throughout my time hiking as a Boy Scout. That's how people talk. And it's stories like that of just 
here's what I did, here's the amazing thing I saw, and that's that's where I want to be 10 years from now, is seeing that bit again. These people that love nature like this, these were definitely the kids in middle school and high school that would just, like, climb trees at recess. You know those kids? Like, they're, they're whole <laughs> yeah, there. I was that kid. Yeah, I was going to say that I was, was you. I was that kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little different now sitting in front of a screen all the time, but... In New York City. I, I definitely, definitely was that kid. <laughs> my, my big highlight scene, Jake, comes towards the very end, and we meet this character, Bob, at the beginning, who... They're all nomads, but Bob is clearly on a different level. He's the teacher. He's the person that all the nomads look up to, and they love being around him and being a part of his community, what they try to accomplish, and just building these relationships. He is the one that it centers around. And Fern gets a beautiful one-on-one moment with him after Swanky dies. There's a snippet of this moment in the trailers. I kind of wish they left it out, but it's it's my favorite scene in the whole movie where Bob opens up about his own tragedy, how his son I love this one suicide. too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he talks about the whole idea that like the reason that I love this nomad community is that we always promise to see each other down the road in some way. That's what you're kind of saying, the coming and going and being a part of something, but also alone, Jake. Uh, and yeah. that is such a distilled way of not only talking about what the nomads do, but how to process grief and how to get over grief. And when she goes back to her husband's house, she understands that she is going to see him again in some kind of capacity. She has understood and accepted that fact, and she's ready to move on and be her own. And it was so nice to hear that type of speech without big blaring music, mm-hmm. like natural ums and pauses in a sentence. Like, it felt genuine. Yeah. The movie Zhao's direction is so impressive in how it lets the moments breathe. Like the score is mm-hmm. gorgeous. The cinematography is gorgeous, but it is not a stylistic movie. It is a movie that relies on just being there in the moment. And I think that's that is something that's very underrated because I agree. Certain directors, let's say like a director like rhymes with Mac Tider or whatever. Uh, <laughs> His birthday's today. Yeah very stylized and in your face and it takes away from the moment and the impact of any realism. Obviously they're going for very different things the movies that these people direct. But yeah. it's it's a it's a different kind of style and it works beautifully in this. I'm with you there though. I um I love that that scene where he really opens up about his son and you get so much perspective from these characters. The word belonging I kept coming back to was Fern is offered ho- like a home and sanctuary by quite a few people. It's clear she has loved ones and people who care about her. There's at least three, maybe four or more people who offer their home to her. Yeah. And she constantly turns them down and just says no, and she would rather do it this way. Right. And I really think she was so happy and comfortable in her, and it's not like she had like a beautiful mansion, but her her home with the husband that she truly loved and the job that she truly loved, and she lost it all. And I just don't think she feels like she belongs anywhere else. And everybody in that community kind of gets it, like the guy who lost his son, like, you know, like Swanky mm-hmm. going through cancer, but won't go back to the hospital at 75 or however old she is. They all kind of, through really difficult circumstances, just found this way of life and it just works for them. And I think it's just the way the movie does it is just so honest and so real. However many people like it, however many nominations it gets or doesn't get, this is the movie that the director wanted to make. And I just, I love that that's the way they went for it. We haven't really talked about the other big actor in the movie, quote-unquote, not as big as Francis, but David Strathern is the only other name in the movie. You recognize mm-hmm. him probably the best. He got an Oscar nomination for Good Night and Good Luck when he played Edward R. Murrow. 
that goes very well to the sense of belonging thing you're talking about where they have a chance. They clearly have some kind of romance and affection for each other, but it's just very sad to see that she's just not ready for it in that moment where he asks her to stay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's going to be a moment of heartbreak for him, but then he'll move on as well. He's found his place with his family and it's yeah. just time for her to find hers. That was a great moment. We already talked about the swanky moment and the Bob moment and all of those. I really, really liked I think the issue is that that's the last third of the movie and it took two thirds of the movie to get to that point. And I think that's kind of where I, I was, I was dragging my feet a little bit to get to those big moments. I don't think you're going to be alone there either. I foresee that if this movie gets more traction, I foresee that coming. Yeah. And I, I see you being much kinder about it too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I just, I just thought of that, you know, that quote that's like, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. I feel like that encapsules this movie. Yeah. Something something that we haven't uh, discussed is just the adaptation of this. This is based on a nonfiction book, which is very interesting to me. You, you know, it's almost like they took the footnotes of a documentary and built a narrative around it, which that makes a lot of sense when you see it. But yeah, so Nomadland, a movie that is going to be very much in the conversation for awards. Why don't we get to final thoughts here? Uh, Nate, we'll give you first cracks here for final thoughts. I, I appreciate this movie for what it is. And I think it pulls it off with great aplomb. I think it's really just a stylistic thing where I can appreciate the art. I'm just not engrossed with the art. And and I think that's the difference. I I liked I liked the characters, the different take, but there's just there's a disconnect when the story is so documentary style esque, where I, I just feel disconnected, not feeling exactly what the character is going through at that time. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I, I like a, a story to play out a little bit more in in big beats rather than very slow, deliberate strokes. Cool. Jake? Um, yeah, I think I've said most of what I needed to say. Um, the The kind of lack of conflict actually fascinated me. I was kind of expecting, because this is not a documentary, it's a it's a written film. So I was expecting a – I did a road trip back in October and I've met people who have – who do kind of live like this as well. And they say sometimes they worry about people breaking into their vans when they're not there and stealing things. So I was expecting that to be a plot point and it wasn't. Like the biggest conflict is really like a disagreement between Fern and her sister and like Fern's van breaking down and can she pay for it? Like that's kind of the biggest conflict mm-hmm. that we get. And the rest is just her life and her story and the people she meets. But I kind of love that. Like it's just – it how honest and real and like the passion that the director and store and producers felt for the story. I think I just, it resonated with me and you know, it's just not going to do that for everybody, but it it did for me. And I think that's just why I really like it. I don't want to say that if it had happened like something like that, more dramatic, it feels harsh to say it would have cheapened what the impact of what the movie is doing. Um, where kind of, you don't need those big dramatic moments, and I feel like the movie recognized that. Yeah, I agree. I really respect what it's able to do uh, with so minimalistic of a of a thread to follow. You just we're just following Fern, and the movie lives and dies of whether we sympathize with Fern. I think, and mm. I don't think I've talked about McDormand's work enough in this uh, because we're giving Chloe a lot of the a lot of the umph. But Frances Frances is so important to this. She is tremendous mm. in this movie. 
in a way that's not very flashy. You know what I mean? She just needs to inhabit a character that is very... Think about how different this character is from her character in Three Billboards or even Fargo. That's the mm. sign of a good actress. You know what I mean? She seems yes. like a regular person in this. She strips down everything she needs to and she gives a very chameleon-like performance around these other nomads. I really like this movie a lot. Uh, like I said, probably the bottom half of my top 10 for 2020. Not one of my f- absolute all-time favorites of the year. But I will not be upset at all if it wins Best Picture at all. I think it, it is absolutely worthy of it. Uh, so we'll see in a few weeks to months uh, if it's able to come home with the crown or something else like Trial of Chicago 7 or Minari or Promising Young Woman takes the award. Ooh, we'll figure it out. see some of those. And we'll probably talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> that will do it for our Nomadland review. Before we go, Nate Longarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. If you want to get to another Oscar contender that we reviewed, uh, I mean, you could count Soul, I guess as well, depending on what category you're talking about. But Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, we reviewed on the last episode, so check that review out if you have not yet. Uh, We're going to probably start pivoting back towards big blockbusters in the next couple of weeks. March is a pretty fruitful month for what we like to target. Uh, So we've got Raya and the Last Dragon coming out. We've got the Snyder Cut coming out, which we'll talk about in some capacity, probably. March is going to be so interesting. Yeah, we've got Falcon and Winter Soldier. We will probably do some kind of WandaVision wrap. Uh, we've got Godzilla versus Kong. I'm not promising all this is going to happen, folks. Be patient. But there's a lot of stuff that we could potentially give to you. So if you guys are good, we'll have it for you. That'll do it for this episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. For Jake Hensler and Nate Lungarini, I'm Andrew Jay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. So I did, did some digging. The last time that all three of us have disagreed on a rating was Shazam, where you fools gave it positive ratings and I went damn blockchain. <laughs> fools. I don't think we're fools, Jake. That movie, that movie's beloved, Jake. I don't think we're fools. Is there any other ones that are like that? Well, you gave The Predator a royal throne, right, Jake? No. Yeah, the predator. <laughs> no, the predator was the last one of also. Uh I gave it Sleazy oh, Outhouse. Yes. Drew went damn lawn chair, and Jake was the jerk who gave it a wooden seat. <laughs> damn. I forgot you gave it a sleazy outhouse. Yeah, I think that's I still think that's a little <laughs> harsh. I think damn lawn chair is very fair. I it just it hit him in a way. I understand. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it's fine. Bad movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>